welcome to the Litigation Finance Podcast. I'm your host, John Freund. This podcast is brought to you by the Litigation Finance Journal, the only dedicated news source to the litigation finance industry. Please visit www.litigationfinancejournal.com. Our guests today are Stuart Ackerley and Matt Blumenstein. Stuart is head of originations and Matt is head of underwriting at Statera Capital. Statera is a U.S.-based commercial litigation funder that finances both small and large claim sizes. Stuart and Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Thanks for having us. Well, it's great to have you both. So um, it's a bit, bit unique because you guys fund both small claims in addition to large claims. So my first question right off the bat is that I've often heard that you know, the diligence and the underwriting requirements for small claims, that they're actually kind of the same for large claims. So uh, there's a question about how you make the economics work on the small claim side. So we'll just start with that. Sure. And, you know, to, to flesh out some specific context here, it's Statera, we, our so-called sweet spot, um, our focus is on investment needs ranging generally from about $500,000 to call it about $4 million. Now, my understanding is that's generally below the floor of, you know, the the uh, large first-generation funders like uh, Burford or an Omni Bridgeway. Um, but we don't consider any claims uh, that we fund to be small. They're all big deals to us. And, and more importantly, they're big deals to our counterparties. And in most most instances, nearly all instances, the the claims that we fund are are absolutely critical for the businesses that we're contracting with. Um, but within the within the realm of that context, uh, to to answer your question um, directly, it is true that we don't calibrate our diligence specifically according to the size, whether it's a, a $500,000 investment or a, a $4 million investment. We instead, you know, do thorough diligence on every deal. Um, we review all the documents that we see as important. We research what needs researching. We ask all the questions that, that uh, we need to have answered. And by the time we conclude our diligence on any given case, we feel like we've you know, touched bottom and, and exhausted our inquiries and have a high degree of confidence about the different directions that a case could go. So, but, it, you know, it is true, getting to the sort of thrust of your question, that we do a lot of deals, um, you know, if, if we're doing $500,000 deals, um, we necessarily are doing more than, than, um, than, than we would be if, if the sort of general deal size were, were much larger. And so the question is, or a question becomes, how do we do that um, and, and still manage to uh, uh, run our business effectively? And I think the answer is we try to be efficient in everything that we do, all of our processes are designed to be maximally efficient. So, for example, on almost all of our deals, we do diligence in-house. Uh, I, I know that some funders um, uh, engage outside counsel to do analyses for them, I think oftentimes overlapping with uh, diligence that's done in-house. We do ours entirely in-house on almost all deals, so we don't have that sort of extra layer 
and the time um, spent and effort spent on, on outside diligence. We're a, a small, flat organization. There are five of us um, several times a week. We're literally or virtually sitting around a round table talking about deals, uh, every deal in our pipeline, and um, everyone is read in at every phase, uh, and thus we don't have uh, sort of levels of approval or levels of administration where uh, cases or inquiries can kind of go up and down the chain and and perhaps be um, uh, take time at at different levels of, of authorization or what have you. Everything is is streamlined. Everybody's read in at all times, and we make decisions quickly um, and to to minimize wasted effort, both on our end and for our counterparties or would-be counterparties. And you know, related to that, we try to be extremely user-friendly and streamlined. If a if a deal isn't going to be a fit for us, we we identify that and say so as quickly as possible, so as to um, uh, be respectful of our counterparties' time and also preserve our time. Um, if we need more information or materials, we ask for it immediately and and just try to turn around all stages, all communications, all processes uh, immediately without any sort of bureaucracy. Um, and when it times when it becomes time to to close a deal, our deal documents are designed to be plain vanilla, non-controversial, to minimize the time spent on the sort of purely transactional part of the the situation. So, all of that is designed, and we spend a great deal of time and effort thinking about ways to move as quickly and efficiently as possible through the inquiries we receive, um, given that we do do deals, you know, down in the, in the six figures, which is considerably, I think, lower than a lot of the, the other um, major funders in the industry. Stuart, do you have anything to add to that? No, that was great, Matt. The only thing I would add is that, and you alluded to this, but the, the steps that we take to make our process efficient also are, are steps that allow us to have best-in-class client service and just make our process as user-friendly and client-friendly as possible. You know, a lot of our team members came from big law backgrounds. Matt and I were both at Williams Connolly. Two of our other team members were at McGuire Woods, and, and we had client service ingrained into us there, and we, we still bring that mindset to our work now. It's just who our clients are is a little different, but we try to be very respectful and efficient um, of, with their time. Yeah, so um, that makes a lot of sense on the diligence side. Let, let's talk about the underwriting side then. Um, what are your underwriting criteria when it comes to these cases? Do you look for you know, certain case types or jurisdictions or maybe certain quantums or ROI that you're, you'd like to target? As, as to case types, uh, we fund all types of commercial cases. Um, there are some types of commercial cases that have very high bars for us. For example, we don't do a lot of patent cases. None of us at Stater are uh, patent lawyers, so they aren't a great fit for us for reasons related to the model I just described, where we need to move quickly and efficiently and confidently. Um, so patent cases, we have very high bars, and they're they're a couple of other uh, sort of particularized types of cases that 
that we tend not to focus on, but uh, setting those aside, we uh, fund all sorts of cases, all sorts of commercial cases. Um, as for jurisdictions, we don't focus on or avoid any particular jurisdictions uh, that I'm that come to mind. Of course, we take into account jurisdictional um, distinctions and idiosyncrasies when we're underwriting cases. For example, you know, the duration um, of a typical case in a given jurisdiction or, you know, the possibility of interlocutory appeals in certain jurisdictions and so on. And of course, um, any particular regulatory consideration in any given jurisdiction is something that we pay attention to. But we don't often find that the jurisdiction is a major attraction or a major detraction from any given opportunity. Uh, as for quantum, um, as, as I mentioned uh, previously, we focus on investment needs of 500,000 to about $4 million, uh, which puts us below where most other funders operate. Now, to be clear, I'm talking about investment needs. So the, the damages profiles of the cases that we uh, fund can be, and often are, very large in any absolute sense, seven, eight, even occasionally nine-figure damages. But the um, investment sort of sweet spot, as it were, is 500,000 to 4 million. As for, you know, pure underwriting criteria, if, if you know, opening a, a file and, and analyzing a case, I don't think we're breaking any new ground at Statera. Uh, generally speaking, the major criteria, the major sort of categories of criteria are, or at least include, merit, first and foremost, damages, um, and the relationship between damages and the investment need. Collectability, of course, is, is critical, um, which is to say if there's a, ultimately a judgment or uh, an undertaking to settle, does the defendant have the, the wherewithal to, to make good? Um, counsel is obviously an important consideration, um, the counsel on the plaintiff side and, and also on the defense side. And, you know, the party's motives, which is to say their, um, their expectations about the case, their, uh, uh, the, the, the factors that are motivating them and whether those are economic and, in our view, uh, reasonable and rational or whether there are non-economic factors at play. Those are some of the specific underwriting criteria that we consider on any given case. And so you fund both law firms and corporate claimants, right? So from an origination standpoint, then, can you talk about where you're seeing the most activity? Yeah, we've, you know, over the past three and a half years, we've now financed dozens of, of matters. You know, our, our focus, like Matt said at the top, is, is generally single case client side financings that, that need half a million to, to $4 million in financing need. We also do and can do portfolios with, with law firms um, that are interested in that. Over the past few years where you know, we've seen the most growth in our, in our pipeline, 
is really from inquiries coming in from law firms and, and companies seeking single case client-side financing. Uh, since just 2021, our pipeline overall has grown 72%. And you know, since that same time, we've doubled the number of cases that we've seen from law firms. The majority of term sheets we offer now are to cases that originate from law firms. And you know, I think that reflects a focus on our part of de developing relationships with the best trial lawyers and best law firms around the country. One of the, the benefits of our focus is that we have the opportunity to work with just about every type of law firm there is from AMLAW 50 to elite regional firms to small boutiques. You know, just about every firm has cases that fall within our funding parameters and we've just seen a growing demand for those options. And we've also seen more and more law firms, including in big law, that are interested in taking more risk on single cases. They may not want to be on a full contingency for various reasons, but they're interested in taking meaningful discounts off their rack rates in exchange for a significant success fee that, you know, if their client is successful means the firm can can earn in excess of 100% of, of their rack rates. And that's a way for law firms to bring in new business, whether it's from existing clients or new clients, generate hourly fee revenue and realize, you know, meaningful amounts of revenue on successful matters. You know, one other, one other area that I would mention is that we see a good amount of activity from other funders. Uh, you know, given our role in the market and, and where we sit in the market, you know, we're generally complementary to the solutions that other funders offer. And we take a lot of pride in, in playing well in the sandbox of other funders. And what that's resulted in is a robust referral network. You know, if we see an opportunity that is too large for us or maybe doesn't fit our strategy, like an early stage patent case, we can send that to another funder that's a better fit. Similarly, if a, another funder sees a case that falls below their minimum investment size, they may send that to us. Fortunately, that's just client service 101. If you, if you can't help a client, you help them find someone who can help. And then, you know, we also are, are fortunate that there's some very, very great you know, brokers in the industry and we've developed really positive relationships with them so that when they have a matter, you know, again, that may fall below the, the minimum investment size of a, of a, of a Burford or Omni Bridgeway, you know, we now provide a helpful solution for them to be able to, to send clients to. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um... And that makes a lot of sense given, you know, like you said, the sandbox that you play in versus where a lot of under, other funders are in terms of uh, minimum case size and maximum case size. Um, so let's talk about your plans for growth. Uh, when you look at how uh, Statera will, will grow in the near future, what are you thinking about? It, it would be something like an office expansion, a geographical expansion, perhaps, or uh, maybe just doubling down on what's already been successful. You know, I think where, where we're focused right now is is really on doubling down what's already been successful and sticking 
to our strategy of prioritizing single case commercial opportunities with financing needs of a half million to $4 million. We have just seen a tremendous need and demand for, for that solution out in the market uh, and have found that it gives us the opportunity to work with, with great counterparties, with great law firms. I think we wanna maintain our own flexibility uh, on financing structures as well as just providing best in class client service. You know, that's what's enabled us to, to finance the cases we have so far, and that's allowed us to finance cases in 14 states plus a handful of international arbitrations, and we, it's allowed us to have cases in virtually every type of venue, from state court to federal court to domestic arbitration to international arbitration. And you know, not all of our cases may be front page news in the Wall Street Journal or New York Times, but for our clients, the cases are all front page news for them and they're best of company type cases. And, you know, without a solution like ours, a lot of those clients wouldn't be able to pursue their claims or wouldn't be able to, to hire the right lawyers to pursue their claims, which can be the difference between winning a case and, and losing a case. And, you know, I think finally, you know, we also just want to continue building relationships of, of trust with the law firms and companies that we work with and interact with on a daily basis. This business really is, at the end of the day, built on trust between between us and our counterparties and their lawyers, and that involves us being quick to say no when we aren't a fit for financing. It involves us offering terms that are fair to everyone and, and sticking to those terms through the diligence and closing process and being a partner with our with our counterparties through the ups and downs of litigation. You know, there's a there's always an element of uncertainty and risk in litigation, and you know, part of what we sign up for is to weather those with the with the counterparty and with their law firm, and to be a to be a partner through that. Yeah, and so then final question for you both: um, the funding industry right now is undergoing a bit of a tumultuous period. You have a lot of funders that are forced to scale down operations. You have some others that are closing entirely. Uh, what do you see as the high-level risk factors for the industry, and what are some trends to watch out for? Well, I, I don't have great visibility into what has happened at other funders, um, and I try to take what, what I hear through the grapevine with a grain of salt, if you can have a grain of salt through a grapevine. Um, that said, the, the biggest organizational <laughs> risk factor that I would identify is over concentration. Um, in other words, I think diversification is is critical. And you know, fortunately, and and not coincidentally, I think Statera's business model is is well insulated from sort of concentration risk. We do a lot of deals, I think, in relative to to others in the space. None of them is huge. Uh, so as a result, you know, as, as Stuart mentioned, we're, we're, we sign up to weather the ups and downs of individual cases. Um, but at the end of the day, our performance should be in line with our goals due to our, you know, pretty extensive diversification. And as long as we stick with that and stick with the diversification and stick with our, our business model, I don't see any reason why Tatera won't be 
stable and around for for a long long time uh, Stuart what about you one risk factor comes to mind off the top and then also one trend so the risk factor you know I think it's really important for a funder to stay focused on its on its strategy and core competency you know in any industry there's there are going to be trends that that others are inclined to follow I tend to believe that by the time something has become a trend there's a pretty good chance that everyone knows about it and so you have to start asking what what's your competitive advantage in, in going into that space and are you just following the herd and I think that involves a lot of discipline to stay focused and not not chase whatever the you know the flavor of the month might be and really comes back to focusing on on what you do and focusing on doing that very very well and then the trend is one that you know I don't view in any way as a as a threat to the industry but one I think is actually beneficial and really important and that's around disclosure and regulation of of litigation finance you know, commercial litigation finance isn't going away it's a you know 13 and a half billion dollars in assets under management in the United States with billions of dollars invested each year but as litigation finance continues to grow and become more highly sought after by leading law firms and and corporate legal departments more and more courts and regulatory bodies and and governments are grappling with the question of of whether financing should be dis disclosed and to what extent now I tend to think that these discussions reflect the maturation and, and institutionalization of the industry and that ultimately that's a good thing and I'm encouraged that most courts and scholars agree that the mere existence existence of financing and of the terms of financing are neither relevant to the claims or defenses in a case nor information that should be made readily available to a litigation adversary you know whether it's it's on a case-by-case -case basis or at a broader level I think this debate is going to continue and again I think that's a that's a positive thing I don't know where it will end up and it may end up in different places for different types of cases um, but as someone who strongly believes in the value that financing brings to the to the counterparties that we work with and to ensuring access to justice I think these debates are ultimately a good thing for the industry they increase the exposure of litigation finance to a broader audience they help bring funding into the mainstream and they give funders a platform to advocate for why what we do is important you know, most well a lot of people in the funding in industry are former lawyers and we like to to advocate and to persuade and these discussions give us that opportunity to do so and to to show why financing improves the efficiency of the legal system and levels the playing field and provides responsible ethical solutions to companies with meritorious disputes and ultimately that's a debate that I'm excited to have and one that I think the industry will will prevail on yeah that's really great and uh, I think you're right about that Stuart, Matt, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today and sharing more about Cetera and your approach to market. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, John. It's a pleasure.
Thank you, John. Yeah, and if you'd like to learn more about Satera, you can visit them at their website, sateracap.com. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A-C-A-P.com. And thank you all for listening to this episode. We'll see you on the next episode of the Litigation Finance Podcast.